1: Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Big
2: tech back in the spotlight. The debate commission says they're going to tweak some rules. All of that, plus what happened in the markets. And I've got Brian Lanza and Roger Fisk in the next hour. Lots to get through. Jam-packed. We've got lots to get through today and tomorrow. And and, and I want to note something at the, at the start of this program, because tomorrow and I'm putting this on your radar now. Tomorrow is the last US jobs report before November's presidential uh election. Uh and it's set to it's it's projected to show a sharp deceleration in labor market gains, suggesting the winner will inherit an increasingly shaky economic Rebound. Employers probably added 875,000 workers in September, following 1.37 million in August, according to the median projection of analysts ahead of Friday's Labor Department data, and the jobless rate likely fell only slightly to 8.2%. I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal. These figures would represent the smallest improvement of the recovery The smallest improvement of the recovery and the pace of future gains could slow further or even reverse. Meanwhile, the stimulus talks, the stimulus talks are still, still no deal. And earlier today, Speaker Pelosi, who spoke with our David Weston, we're going to play some of that coming up. uh, She met with Secretary Mnuchin. No immediate breakthrough. No immediate breakthrough on a deal for the new pandemic relief package. The House is going to vote on a Democrat only plan, but it's it's little to no to no avail. So we're going to dive into that. That sets the backdrop to this dizzying day in Washington, D.C. Meanwhile, we're going to start though with the House Antitrust Committee because they held a hearing today and they're expected to release a report with recommendations that will take aim at the power of big tech. And this could lead to the overhaul of antitrust laws. So earlier today, I just got back, actually, stepped back into the bureau. I was on Capitol Hill, and I caught up with Congressman Ken Buck. He's a Republican from Colorado. And I asked him about big tech. I also asked him about the stimulus talks. Because these are the two driving market forces and the volatility, not to speak, of uh, coming from politics. But he's a member of the subcommittee. Uh, on the antitrust on the antitrust issue, and I tried to find out what happened at the hearing, and when the report's going to be released on big tech. Take a listen.
5: So the uh, antitrust subcommittee will be issuing a report uh, next week. Um, It may be bipartisan. It may not be. We haven't had a chance to read the report at this point. Um, I think what we learned today was that the experts, the the professors, the former regulators, the people who really study this area see a problem with high tech and the anti-competitive behavior of at least five of the platforms in high tech. Uh, we also learned that uh, while most uh, return on capital for most industries has stayed pretty uh, stagnant for the last 50, 60 years, uh, big farm and high tech have really exploded, and we've got to make sure that we keep high-tech uh, competitive so that smaller, innovative companies can compete.
2: There's been so many conversations just about freedom of speech as well as just how big these tech companies are and what, how they're able to, to navigate Section 230, for example. Where does that fall into this, especially as you get ready to release your report? So I
5: think there, there are uh, issues that are uh, more uh, talked about on the left and more talked about on the right. And bias and the uh, regulation of speech on uh, these platforms is certainly talked about a lot by conservatives because they feel like they're being discriminated I should say we feel like we are being discriminated against um, on the left they talk about uh, the size of these companies and the danger mm-hmm. of having companies that are that are that big um, my view is that if we do the right thing with reducing the comp- the anti-competitive behavior of these companies we will see an impact on free speech we have a lot of different sources of TV and a newspaper for information we don't complain about bias and those areas because we know when we look at one or the other we're going to get a, a different viewpoint it's when one one platform controls and there's no other platform that can give a different viewpoint that we really have a problem
2: are is going to be necessary
5: um, I think the the, the investigation side uh, at this point is over because we're dealing with a new Congress starting January 3rd. And mm-hmm. so what we're going to see are probably some uh, legislative proposals that, that will be made in, in the uh, November-December time frame, and then really in, uh, in January 3rd, the results of this investigation will move forward depending on who controls the White House, who controls the Senate, and who controls the U.S. House.
2: You know, you look at some of the, within the big tech industry, you've got Spotify and other companies. And- Engaging in, in uh, an alliance, for lack of a better term, in terms of going after some of these big te- tech companies on their on their app platforms and, and just where apps are placed. I mean, how do how do you navigate the quickly evolving world of technology and keep pace with it? And this is something that conservatives have been talking about for forever. And keep pace with that evolving world, and also make sure that it's fair for small business and entrepreneurs to create more. Anew.
5: Yeah, I think what's really essential is to understand the separation of, of powers in our government. The Congress's role is to make sure that the executive branch has the resources they need to move forward and that the laws are applicable to the current economy. If we do those two things, that's our job. We can't say that this company should be broken up or that the result, the remedy should be uh, this particular remedy for this
3: situation.
2: I want to switch gears now just to, to go geopolitical for a second. It's one thing to look at the domestic big tech companies. It's entirely different to look at China's big tech companies and the infiltration that they have and penetration that they're having, not just in the U.S. marketplace, but also in Europe as well as, other, as, well as all around the world. What does the U.S. need to be doing to make sure that our own intellectual property is protected from the Communist Party of China?
5: Well, I think we need to do two things. One, um, regardless who, who the president is, we need to make sure that if China bars U.S. companies from entering its marketplace, like Google, like Amazon, like some other uh, uh, high-tech companies, we need to make sure we take reciprocal action and that, that China doesn't have a free pass with TikTok or other uh, apps in this country uh, when they're barring us. So the first thing is fair trade policy. The second thing is we need to do a lot better job and the world needs to do a lot better job of protecting intellectual property from China. They have been predators, they have cheated in the marketplace and we need to get a consensus around the world that China has to come into the free and fair trade uh, areas and not allow them to continue to cheat.
2: It's a fascinating debate. Finally, Speaker Pelosi, Secretary Mnuchin, are we going to get to some type of fiscal stimulus before the election?
5: I hope we do. And, and I hope that it is as small as possible. And yet it takes into account those who are unemployed and hurting and those small businesses that really need a, a hand at this point. What we can't do is the blue state bailout that, that Speaker Pelosi is talking about right now. We cannot uh, continue to try to fund state governments who have been acting irresponsibly.
2: The Blue State bailout—I haven't heard it called that in a while. That's my interview from earlier today with Congressman Ken Buck. He's a Democrat from the Fourth District of uh, Colorado, and he's all over this big tech, big tech story. And and I want to note something. You know, yesterday I was reading the uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer. I was in Cleveland in the hotel lobby and reading the paper, and big tech was was localized there as a as a big story. Local governments about Facebook funding some poll workers and this whole initiative that the that the big tech industry has in terms of uh in terms of doing that uh of funding some some of these uh localized issues so a fascinating fascinating conversation with congressman ken buck uh who is Colorado's 4th Congressional District. All right, let's keep talking about the stimulus because earlier today, my colleague David Weston spoke with Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi about whether or not they're going to reach an agreement. Take a listen to what she told him.
6: Well, I'm hopeful. Uh, Actually, it doesn't mean I'm positive, but I am hopeful. Uh, We do have uh, some areas of disagreement that are broad, uh, but uh, we're still alive and we're still talking, and I'm hopeful that we can reach an agreement.
2: And so, meanwhile... All of this comes as uh, she also went on to talk about just how the coronavirus testing is also wrapped in to these negotiations, the uh, more testing being an issue as a part of these negotiations. Take a listen to what she said about that.
6: We have a big, uh, big pillar of this bill about testing, tracing, treatment, mask wearing, space, sanitation, all of that. It's very specific in the language, and that's why it's not just the money, it's the language as well, to make sure this gets done. Because it is the way to crush the virus so that we can open our economy more broadly and our schools both more safely.
2: So, we're going to dive into all of the differences between the Democrats and the Republicans as they lower to 2.2, 2.4 trillion. And of course, uh, Republicans are still holding firm at 1.4 trillion. So, they're still a trillion dollars apart. That's coming up. I'm Kevin Cerilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. More from that exclusive interview that David Weston did with Speaker Pelosi coming up. This is Bloomberg 99.1.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for uh, Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I was telling our our sound technician maestro, maestro, Reggie, I said, I said, Reggie, now I want a burger. We were always talking about what we're going to have for dinner. I said, Reggie, I want a double cheeseburger with bacon. And I think Reggie told me he's gonna do that with fries. And I'm gonna dip them in ice cream. Because nothing, there's no, there's no bad day. There's one thing I've learned, being a Washington correspondent. There is no news cycle too rough or too hard that French fries dipped in ice cream can't cure. I'm telling you, it is the best thing in the world. Nothing, you're having a bad day, get yourself some fries. Dip it in ice cream and keep going, Kev. One foot in front of the other. All right, now let's check in on the markets. U.S. stocks advanced, led by gains in the biggest technology companies, as investors weighed the chances Democratic lawmakers and the White House will reach a deal for a fiscal stimulus package. Oil tumbled on concern. The market may be oversupplied. The Nasdaq 100 reached the highest in almost a month, as Amazon.com, Microsoft, and Tesla rose. The S&P 500 index advance was limited by declines in energy producers. Joining us now to help us navigate through what happened in the markets today, Lindsay Piegza, She is chief economist at Stifel Uh Lindsay, did I say all that right? You did. You did. Good job right. on that one. Thank you, Lindsay. I, I, I appreciate that. What happened in the markets today, Lindsay? Well, you know, I think the market
4: is pretty optimistic that we are going to see a fifth round aid package eventually trickle down the pipeline. Now, we know negotiations have been going on for quite some time, but... There's ample political pressure now on both sides. With the November election just 35 days away, neither side wants to be seen as the one uh, putting up a barrier to providing additional funding to families and businesses that need aid to really bridge the gap that continues to uh, pose hardship for putting food on the table and covering expenses. So I think the market is relatively optimistic that we will see additional aid uh, in, in the near term.
2: You know, and it's really remarkable because I'm up there on Capitol Hill, right? I spoke to Ken Buck, Congressman Ken Buck, earlier today. I spoke to Jim Jordan when I was out in Cleveland. Connor Lamb, I saw. Uh, you know, I, I speak. I speak to these people, and and they actually do agree on the baseline. They agree, Lindsay, on the on the baseline of providing some targeted relief. It's it's all of these other issues that get in the way, and so the the, the strategy that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Is saying is okay. Eventually, you're going to take what we all agree on, and and that and that you're going to do that. And the strategy that Speaker Pelosi outlined to our David Weston today in that interview was, well, no, we can get more. And it just is. It's really remarkable to watch these two masterful politicians uh, have their their ideologies on on such a collision course. But it all comes down to the data. And tomorrow we're getting. Incredibly important, an incredibly important jobs report. And this is the last jobs report before the election. And it's it's set to show a very slowing recovery. Give us a preview, Lindsay, of tomorrow's jobs report.
4: Well, I think the September jobs report is going to show that the U.S. labor market continues to improve in terms of positive job creation. We're looking for roughly still around uh, 870,000 new jobs. But since the pandemic, we've actually recaptured or reclaimed uh, roughly 11 million jobs. So that is a sizable step in the right direction. On the other hand, what we see is that even with the progress made, a number of Americans now put back to work at this point, there remains considerable ground yet to recapture before we can talk about returning to solid labor market conditions, particularly as monthly hiring momentum slows. So if we do see a gain of about 870000 well, that's down from roughly $1.4 million the previous month.
6: Right.
2: So
4: we are seeing that second derivative decline or a
2: slower pace of po- uh, positive hiring. So that's, uh, that's so interesting because, I mean, especially in terms of the expectations game, and, and every city in America is trying to figure out, you know, what does this mean? You look at New York and the data that they've got, you know, an uptick uh, in, in New York and New York City, and they're and they're opening restaurants. They're all up on edge on that, you know. I, I, governor Hogan of Maryland, a Republican governor, Larry Hogan, uh, he he uh, said that there was no new cases today, so they they had some positive news in terms of Maryland. But every it's like a patchwork of data on the virus front. And then economists like you are have to piece this all together. So how is the anxiety and the uncertainty around this, the potential of a second wave, how has that impacted a market re- reaction and, more importantly, job creation? Oh, it's huge because
4: what we see is that uh, many businesses were optimistic that they would be able to bridge the gap within a couple of months. But the timeline for the pandemic has been extended so precipitously that many businesses are fearful that they will be forced to close their doors for good as we look out to the end of the year. In fact, there's a great report that shows 23 percent of small businesses have already closed their doors, at least temporarily, but nearly two-thirds are worried or are at risk of permanent closure by year end. So this suggests that there could be another round of layoffs coming as we look out into the future. Yes, again, we have taken steps in the right direction putting people back to work but if businesses aren't able to remain open if we see more restaurants if we see more retailers more bars and nightclubs closed that means that they're not employing americans and that's going to put downward pressure on that jobless number and make it uh, more difficult for americans to get a boost of income and again cover expenses put food on, on the family table
2: all right so i was on the bloomberg terminal before i came on the show and um I love this. It's called the misery index. It's calculated using the official U3 unemployment rate and the year over year change in the headline CPI. So the change in the index is based on the six month rolling average through the month preceding the election, October, compared with year earlier levels. Okay, ready for this? A record high reading for the misery index suggests economic factors will not be working in President Trump's favor at the November election. Now, the biggest unknown here, folks, is that there's a pandemic. Excluding Democratic nominee Jimmy Carter's win in 1976 and accounting for World War II hero Dwight Eisenhower's popularity in 1952 and 1956, the Misery Index has got it wrong only twice. Bill Clinton uh, win in 1992 and George W. Bush. So it's it's... It's been wrong, but the misery signal was weak. But you look at the data; the market is now baking in. Lindsay, I'm not going to ask you to pick a pick a president. I I that's not your job. But I, <laughs> I, will, I, that. I will. I will because no, I get it. But I will ask you: Is the market they're baked in that this is going to be not election day, but election month? Well, and that that is something that we have to consider.
4: we We are anticipating some sort of a contested election a result, which will cause ample volatility in the market. But as far as the misery index, I, I think that it's very important to how the president spins the current data. Yes, because we don't have the counterfactual. We don't know what shape the economy would be in if he hadn't taken taken the steps that he has, if states haven't uh, hadn't taken the steps that they have. So we could have seen a 50%, uh, percent drop in GDP as opposed to a 30% drop in Q2. Yeah, exactly. So I do think that politicians are going to take that data. They're going to spin it. They're they're very clever. Sienna, and they're going you know. to pander to their constituents.
2: And the thing that's, that's the biggest unknown, and this is why, and I say this respectful to economists like Lindsay, because, you know, I'm not, I, you know, listen, I, I respect the, the data, the numbers, I get it, the graphs, the charts, up and down. But we've never had a pandemic in 100 years. So, you know, it's almost like it's difficult to to use the typical analysis for politics because we've never been here before. All right, Lindsay Piegs, I really appreciate your time. Excellent analysis on helping us navigate through what happened in the market today. She's the chief economist at Stifle Nikolaus. Uh, And I appreciate it, Lindsay. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, you can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cerulli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: Jobs Day Eve, and it's an important jobs report. We're going to dive into how the fiscal stimulus talks could be impacted by the economic data. Plus, 2020 watch. Now both sides are trying to talk about the economy, but the fallout from that brutal debate in Cleveland still casting a large shadow over the election. And Congressman Steve Chabot calls us from Indiana all of that this hour for a live look at what's happening on Capitol Hill. Coming up, we've got a jam-packed hour uh, to to walk through the politics and everything going on from the debate. But I, I want to start with policy, especially on a day like today, because Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, as well as Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, they've been continuing their negotiations. And Speaker Pelosi spoke to our very own David Weston. It was a wide-ranging interview. I really encourage you to go check it out on the terminal or cross-platform anywhere on Bloomberg, but I want to play some of it now in particular about where the negotiations are because they're going to vote in the House on a 2.2, 2.4 trillion dollar stimulus package and no Republicans are going to get on board with it. Now, leader McConnell is pushing for a 1.4 max trillion dollar plan. And they agree on $1.4 trillion, which, mind you, is no small feat to have Republicans and Democrats agree with a trillion-plus dollars. But there's two very different political calculations that are being made here, and that's really where I want to begin tonight. Leader McConnell is saying, we agree on $1.4 trillion, so let's just get that done and let's make it targeted and approached to the various communities. Speaker Pelosi is saying, I have the political capital. I've got time on my side. So no, we're gonna do a trillion dollars more. That's what she wants. So take a listen to what she told David Weston about this specific piece of legislation and the need for fiscal stimulus. Here she is.
6: We've come down very far in the negotiations, not abandoning any priorities, but shortening the timetable and putting some things off uh, to the appropriations. You're four and a half months Mm -hmm. since we introduced the Mm -hmm. HEROES Act. But a half months until we're sworn in as a new Congress and less than four months until we inaugurate the president of the United States. So the horizon, and we're approaching that horizon and hopefully in doing so we can be well prepared by coming to agreement now on this legislation.
2: Now the markets have been moving in every word as it relates to the stimulus and she says she's got consumer confidence on her mind. Here she is.
6: This is a consumer confidence, these people spend this money immediately, it's urgently needed, and inject demand into the economy, create jobs. It's a stimulus.
2: And I want to just also play here what she had to say about how testing and contact tracing and the funding for more testing is a part of this. Here's her pitch to David Weston. We
6: have a a big pillar of this bill about testing, tracing, treatment mask wearing, space, sanitation, all of that is very specific in the language and that's why it's not just the money, it's the language as well to make sure this gets done. Because it is the way to crush the virus so that we can open our economy more broadly and our schools both more safely.
2: So I wanted to play that because uh, David Wesson did a great job in terms of really getting an understanding of the strategy as well as the policy that Speaker Pelosi is trying to push for this weekend. But earlier in this week when I was in Cleveland, I spoke with one of the most influential conservatives in the House right now, and that's Congressman Jim Jordan. He's a Republican from Ohio. And he's got Mark Meadows' ear, he's got the White House ear, and he understands the, 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 the political landscape of the Republican Party and the caucus right now and the dynamics of it better than anyone. He is, in many ways, the conservative in the House of Representatives. And I spoke with him about just how much they were willing to spend. Here's a guy in the Freedom Caucus about how much they were willing to spend. Let's roll the tape. Here he is
7: best stimulus is to let people go back to work. I mean, think about it. Our economy—the the V-shaped recovery has happened. The Great American Comeback is happening. But imagine if New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, California, Michigan—six of the largest ten states, and population-wise in the country—six of the top ten. Imagine if they were fully open. So I mean, you've got, you got six big states uh, where, where they're still largely locked down. So imagine what we would see. So the best stimulus is to let the economy open up. Do it in a safe way but let the economy open up like so many other states have done, that would be the best stimulus versus just throwing more money like the Democrats want to do.
2: I hear you on that point, but even when I talk to people like Congressman Matt Gates, for example, they're saying that there is a foundation of agreement in terms of some econ- more economic stimulus do you think that's possible by the end of the year? If it's
7: targeted to, to small business How owners. How much are we talking? I, we'd, have to, we'd have to look yeah. at what, what that is. What I don't want to do is bail out. I don't want Ohio taxpayers having to bail out uh, the Illinois uh, state government for, for ridiculous spending over the years. I don't want Ohio taxpayers to have to bail out New York and California. California got rolling blackouts and all kinds of crazy policies going there. I, I, don't, I don't want that. So uh, what we should do is free up the money that's already out the door for, for local governments, money that's already out there. Give some freedom there. That's a, that's a Republican bill sponsored by an Ohioan, Warren Davidson. Uh, that makes that makes sense. And then if we can do something on PPP, the, the program that helps small businesses, I think there'd be some, some common ground there that conservatives might be willing to work with them. But they don't want that. They just want to throw money. And they want bail out states.
2: So right there, folks, you just heard from Speaker Pelosi. You heard from Jim Jordan. And I, I think it, it, it's an illustration of why these talks are taking so long. And unfortunately, we're on the eve of a jobs report. We're going to talk about the jobs report uh, coming up. Roger Fisk is with me. He's a Democratic strategist, longtime aide to President Obama and a principal of New Day Strategy. And president or a a principal of (laughs) I almost introduced Brian Lanza as President Brian Lanza. Brian Lanza is also with us. He is a Republican strategist and former deputy communications director for President Trump's 2016 campaign. Roger, I want to go with you. We just heard from Congressman Jim Jordan. I mean, and, and and earlier before that, Speaker Pelosi. This is why this is taking so long. Is they're worlds apart.
8: Yeah, Kevin. First off, thanks so much for having me, and 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 it's great to be here with Brian. You know, it's frustrating. I, I wish we had a president who fashioned himself as the great deal maker, because ostensibly we could just have a president like that swoop in here and <laughs> and, and 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 bring these parties together. I mean, it, it, joking aside, it is shocking to me. <laughs> That he is completely MIA in this whole equation, and in fact, whole news stories come and go without even wondering, uh, you know, where where he is. And then, and let me switch now to how this could have gone in the president's favor if he had not taken his foot off the gas on testing months ago, and say, if you took the content of that press conference in the White House Rose Garden in March when he was like, oh, there's going to be drive-through testing locations and all the box store parking lots, and we're going to move you know, drive in movie theaters and all this other stuff, and, and then you also mobilize full mobilization of the federal government around testing, which, of course, he decided not to do because he didn't want his numbers to go up. That would have then put in place the infrastructure so that you had a delivery mechanism when a vaccine comes, right? It would be very easy to have all those testing locations that could have been built sitting there and basically waiting for the arrival of a vaccine, and then you just push it out and you can plug it right into the American bloodstream. But he chose a different route, um, and that's why I think that the speaker is, is making the points that she is, and then ultimately, the, the 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 reality they're basically on two escalators right now. Speaker Pelosi's political capital goes up every day, and Mnuchin's and Meadows goes down every day. Especially while you know the president right. sits there and undermines his own government's response.
2: All right, Brian, I, I don't want to. Brian, you're going to get the first word coming up next because I want to. I want to get to you on the other side of this. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg ninety nine My name is Kevin Cirilli I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio That's my, my oldest sister Mara's favorite Bruce song And uh, my niece Annie switched preschools And today was her first day at a new preschool And uh, apparently she was, you know Talking to everybody, it was like did she fit right in. <laughs> Just drop, Ridge, talking to everybody. I said she must take after me. She'll talk to anybody. Uh, joining us for the oh, also our our esteemed Washington Booker uh, was telling us about his his high school football days in in, in the break. Mat- Matthew Shirley was a tackler, and he was wearing his high school his high school jersey. So that's for you, Matt. Uh, joining us on the line, Roger Fisk, a Democratic strategist. Brian Lanza, Republican strategist, former deputy comms director for President Trump's 2016 campaign. Brian, did you play football in high school?
9: Yeah, oddly enough, I did. I was an outside linebacker.
2: An outside linebacker. I was a soccer player. You know, I should challenge soc- I should cha- challenge Jonathan Farrow to a soccer match, or as he calls it, football. But, uh, you know, football. anyway. All right, Brian. Why? Okay, so in the uh, earlier Roger Fisk said I he said essentially where's President Trump in these negotiations? So let me let me ask you that. Where is President Trump in these fiscal stimulus negotiations? Because he did run as a deal maker and you know why not? Why not, you know, get up there with Speaker Pelosi, you know, get or bring him to the White House and say, "Hey, we need a deal. We need stimulus."
9: Listen, I think he's being strategic, and that's what all negotiators do. I mean, they have you know not that minutions and underlining, but they have an underlining sort of handle the details. Uh, and when we're close, to it, they come in and, and close the finish line. And I think that's what's going to happen here. I mean, you know, Trent, listen. I think if you're negotiating, the last thing you want to do is president put President Trump in the room when you're trying to get billions of dollars for more state government. I mean, that is the number one priority of the Democrats. I mean, they want to fund the failures of California, they want to fund the failures of New York, and they want to push that tax burden on to the rest of us, and Trump wants nothing to do with it. So he's not going to go in the room and entertain that because it's just a waste of his time and it's a waste of Pelosi time. So they know that. So I think he's being smart by handing it off to Minutian. let them uh, work well, let them work t- well together to get it done, and he'll come in when it's time to close. But so, I just don't and, think we're there.
2: And all of this comes, and, and I get it. You know, I, I'm talking to a Republican, I'm talking to a Democrat. I get, I get the divide, and you know, and I, I respect both of you because we talk so much about policy and. And, and the econo- the economics of all this, but all of this comes as tomorrow we're going to get the last jobs report before the election. And the employers probably, if you look at the terminal, probably added 875,000 workers in September, following 1.37 million in August, according to the median projection of analysts ahead of Friday's Labor Department data. The jobless rate likely fell only slightly 8.2 percent you know we were speaking about this in the last half hour Brian and then Roger I want to get you to weigh in on this but Brian I mean if you look at I don't think you can look and compare this upcoming election from an economic standpoint with the economic indicators like the misery index for example based upon when you've got the pandemic in the back in the background. Because you can't look at 8.2 percent unemployment and say, OK, well, it's a, it's, it's a super high unemployment number because of the backdrop of the pandemic. But here we are. And so, you know, when if you look at polls, the president's still polling above uh, Biden on, on the economy. But the conversation on the trail has not been about the economy, Brian.
9: Yeah, and listen, that's the challenge they have. I mean, elections are about tomorrow. They're about the future. And every person sitting in their home today is worried about their future. They're wondering what it's going to take to get to the economy of 2020 or January 2020 and February of 2020. And I think that's the case that President Trump and his campaign team have to make. They have to say, listen, guys, listen, America. In the last four months, my administration created 10.4 million jobs four months you know, as a response to this crisis. The entire eight years of Obama administration, they only created 8.4. So who do you trust that's going to restore your job while you're sitting at home wondering what the future looks like? The one who created this great economy and, and that was the envy of the world and the envy of world economic history in January of 2020 or Joe Biden and his team which, w- which resulted in the slowest economic recovery from a great recession ever. And then I'd add the final point. You know, we were talking about a Great Depression in, in May of this year. We were talking about it. Every, you know, news stories were there. Bloomberg was writing about it. We're far from that Great Depression. That is not an accident. That is a result of the, of the President Trump's policies and leaderships on these issues. And so it's not that we're here on accident. 8.4 is still high, but it's not the 20% that everybody was predicting. And so it's a 12-point difference. And that 12-point difference is a, response, is, is, is a direct responsibility of uh, President Trump's leadership and guidance on the economy. Go ahead Roger. Well, you know, that's <laughs> it's
8: it's that's a long list. First off, you know, in the last two years of the Obama administration, four point four million jobs were created, and the first two years of the Trump administration, four point one million jobs were created. So, President the last four whole, months this, ten point four
9: million, this million jobs.
8: This whole mantra, this whole mantra of the greatest economy in the history of the galaxy and stuff like that, is just ludicrous. And uh, a four year old can prove it wrong on Google in, in about thirty seconds. Um, the, the, the vexing question um, that, that Brian does not put in his um, laundry list is why the president couldn't have shared with the American people in February what he shared with Bob Woodward. Like, for me, a lot of this stuff, you know, politics and campaigns and stuff, all gets down to really simple stuff. And if he had just been straight and transparent with the people but I about try to, yeah. that this is an airborne pathogen and that children you know, might have the carrying capacity and things like but that, I wanna, yeah. we would be in, in a much, much different situation. My last point very quickly is to say that he's going out and creating jobs right now when people are just clawing their way back to the surface. I think it's playing very fast and loose with but one I vocabulary.
2: Think, I think, but I want to keep this focus in the sense, and I and I, it's hard to do in this climate. Lord, if I know how hard this is, especially to talk to, to want to do a policy show in the middle of all of this this noise. But let me ask you this: Is Joe Biden? Is he say, stating clearly what he would do in? In the first 100 days as it relates to getting the economy and don't don't answer with a comparison to the other guy or to the president. And I, I'm saying that respect like, to, to the opponent of whatever, because I, I, I want to know truthfully what a Biden administration would would look like in terms of energy policy. I don't know and, and uh, what balance he would strike on fracking and, and new energy in terms of uh, small, infrastructure spending. I, I don't know. And that's what I think I want to dive into. That's what we are going to dive into uh, coming up. And both sides, both sides. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington, correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. And tomorrow, folks, we're going to have a continuing coverage of Jobs Day. It's an incredibly, incredibly important, important Jobs Day. Uh, Last one before before the election, and we we got to use these economic indicators, in order to, in order to, to really go into to all of the the specifics, and maybe it'll put some pressure on these lawmakers to get to a fiscal stimulus deal. Uh, joining us on the line, someone who's wrapped up in these negotiations, he's the ranking member of the House Small Business Committee. He's Congressman Steve Chabot. And he, is, uh, he represents Ohio's first congressional district. He is a member of the Republican Party. Congressman, are we going to get to a deal on the fiscal talks?
3: I certainly hope so. Um, obviously, this is Washington, so politics uh, often gets in the way. But, it's everywhere. Yeah, but
2: this is something
3: we really ought to be working on in a bipartisan manner. Um, and the jury's still out whether that's going to get done. Um, it's possible yet tonight. Uh, it's possible tomorrow. I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, because the American people need it, and both Republicans and Democrats are saying they want to help. Now, let's see if we can actually get it done. I certainly hope we will.
2: So to me, what I really cannot understand, maybe it's because I'm young, but I cannot understand why, for the life of me, you and your Democratic friends on the other cross the aisle, you you agree on about a trillion dollars. You agree on... Many different things. So why can't you just pass that, what you agree on, and fight about the other, for lack of a better word, stuff, another day? Because on Main Street, in small businesses, families across the country, they can't operate the way the House of Representatives or the Senate or, or the politics in general, the way it works in this town.
3: Yeah, you're right. That is what should happen. Sometimes it does. Um I actually I'm the lead Republican or the ranking member of the House Small Business Committee. The last two Congresses I was the chairman of the committee. We have a very good working relationship on, on that committee. The Democrats and Republicans work we get a lot done on, on the committee. So we we were instrumental in passing the PPP program back in the CARES Act earlier this year, the paycheck protection program. And so many jobs were saved across the country. Over fifty million jobs were saved. Uh, it's about Half the people who work in America work for a small business, and about half of those jobs were saved due to this. Now, the funding is there's still 137 billion dollars in there, but the time ran out back in August, August 8th. And I've introduced a a, a bill that would allow let's we all agree on that, both Republicans. Let's do that now. And the things we don't agree on. We can save those. And and uh, Nancy Pelosi thus far has refused to allow it. To, she's a speaker, of course, has allowed has refused to allow it to come up for a vote. So the last couple of weeks, we've been doing something called a discharge petition. Uh, you need to have half of the members of Congress sign it and the bill will come up even if the speaker uh, opposes it. It would pass uh, virtually all Republicans. Uh, would would vote for it, and uh, a large number of Democrats would vote for it. We'd at least get that done, because uh, we agree on that. Um, but we, we're not there yet even on that, because we're still trying to collect the signatures. But I would like to see an overall bill done that would help people in direct payments again, uh, that would do something for, for those that are still unemployed, uh, to do something more testing. So there's a, I'd like to see a bigger bill, but if we can't get there, like like you said, Kevin, let's at least pass what we agree on.
2: So, I mean, Steve Chavez with us. He is a Republican from Ohio. And, uh, uh, you know, I want to talk about I want to switch gears, actually, uh, and talk about just a geopolitical competition, because it's not just small businesses on Main Street that are having to claw their way out of, of this this economy and and the jobs day numbers coming tomorrow and 8.2 likely unemployment, 8.2 percent unemployment. I mean. There are reopenings and the pace of reopenings and the pace of, of, of the data on the coronavirus impacting all around the country. And, and, and you look at China, and you, of course, are a member of the House Committee on Foreign Affairs. We're in a direct competition right now for our goods being provided all over the world. And so I know that, that a group of, of House members just released a, a strategy, a Republican House members released a strategy on how to deal with China uh, yesterday yesterday but mm-hmm. when you look at your and uh, you look at the competition not just from an economic standpoint but on national security as well with China I mean this is this isn't a problem down the road this is a problem right now
3: oh it absolutely is yeah uh, they are if you look down the road yeah it's for the next hundred years they're going to be our principal rival uh, but they're there now um, jobs have been going over there for such a long time um, and basically what we've allowed to happen you know we're we have Free trade, more or less, since you know the uh, the uh, Clinton administration through the Bush administration. This president has felt a little differently, and he's more in favor of tariffs, et cetera. But basically, what we've allowed is China to get their products into our country uh, on the shelves. Just look at Walmart. I mean, if you pick something up, you look under it. There's a pretty darn good chance it's going to say "made in China" underneath. And we make it very easy for them uh, to sell their products here. But our businesses, our companies, have a hard time getting into China. And if they want to locate there, they have to partner up uh, with a Chinese entity. And oftentimes they have some connection to the Chinese Communist Party. So we've got to be a lot smarter in our trade deals. And, and the president has been very outspoken on that. He's made some progress, um, but we've got a, a long way to go with respect to China. And they've been eating our lunch in a whole range of areas for far too long. They're stealing our intellectual Uh, Property, You know, we're quite good. Our our tech companies are good at at making uh, complex and and, and things that they can't even necessarily make over there. But what happens is they go over, they reverse engineer this stuff, and they end up uh, stealing our copyrights and making the product over there cheaper because labor costs are cheaper and then selling them back here in the United States. So that's the kind of thing we have to be a lot smarter about. Uh, to bring those jobs back to this country.
2: Congressman Steve Shabbat's on the line. He is a Republican representing Ohio's first congressional uh, district, uh, He, uh, which uh, is, is near Cincinnati. I, mean, I was just in Ohio, Congressman, uh, for, the, for that debate. Did you hear about the debate? <laughs> uh,
3: I did hear something about a debate. I guess they called it a debate. I'm not sure if it oh, was my. one. But. Did
2: you watch it? Be oh, honest. Man.
3: I did. I watched it from beginning to end, and uh you, you suffered know, I,
2: like the rest of us right
3: i'm telling you my my mom taught me not to be rude and not to interrupt. <laughs> she also told me not to call names um, and there was a lot of name calling and a lot of rudeness and and it was on both sides um and it's unfortunate because I think there's so many issues uh, and there are' real disagreements with the, with both candidates I don't agree with each other on most policies. Uh, but you know when you 're trying to talk over somebody and yell at each other and call each other names, uh, I think a lot of people are really turned off by that exhibition
2: well and the thing that i just i, I don 't like when the pundits over the past twenty four and forty eight hours with what, what they 've been saying is oh it 's not going to change anything you don 't watch a debate to to, to necessarily that you you I mean you get to be informed, but you also have a right as an American citizen to watch the debate to say okay even if the 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 person who I support doesn't win. I still want to know the direction of the country that the other person, the other candidate, is taking the di- the direction of the country in. I-, I don't think that was informative at all.
3: You know what I mean? And, no, and I agree so, with you. Yeah, yeah. I-, I don't think it was very informative. I think the American people uh, were not served well in that debate, and that goes for both sides. And I happen to be a Republican. Um, I-, I objected to the behavior of of both. Candidates. There was more rudeness on one side. There was more name calling on the other side. I hope that in the next couple of debates, assuming they actually happen, uh, that there's a lot more respect, not only for each other, but for the American people who have to watch this
2: thing. Well, and honestly, Congressman Steve Chabot, who's on the line, he's a Republican representing Ohio's first congressional district. Uh, Honestly, it, it it was it was so toxic. I don't even know how you would even change the rules. You know, I, I, I personally think Chris Wallace did a great job. I think he did all that he could have done in that situation. I'm, I'm definitely not one to weigh in on critiquing, you know, the, the media. It's, I think there's enough millennial reporters out there who do, who do that. But it was it was absolutely just, you know, hopefully something needs to be done uh, to, to, to allow people to be informed because people have a right to be informed. Are you a Bengals fan?
3: Oh, absolutely. Yep, indeed, I, I wish their record was You're a little better. You're on the wrong show. They could be, they could be tied. 3-0, uh, and they're 0-3. So, oh, that was the, the worst they, football they, game. They tied the last
2: one. I know, <laughs> against my Philadelphia Eagles. They should have benched Wentz, you know? I mean, it was it was absolutely deplorable. I thought it was the worst part of my week, and then I get to Cleveland, and I go through that debate. All right, Congressman Steve Shabbat, I really appreciate your time coming on, but listen, I don't like the Bengals. I, Congressman, I don't like the Bengals, And and after that terrible game if you can even you can't call it a debate you can't call that a football game congressman steve chabot republican congressman representing ohio's first district uh and uh he represents a bunch of cincinnati bengals fans i guess i'm kevin cerilli <sighs> what a week you're listening to bloomberg 99.1